Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power of weakness head on me. Free, 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 free. Hi everyone and welcome to the Bubble Hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy, recovery author, blogger, and podcast host. I've been chronicling my adventures in life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety over nine years ago in my blog Unpickled and in books like the Unpickled Holiday Survival Guide, which I encourage you to get a copy of since the holidays are right around the corner and the best way to protect your recovery is to plan ahead. Also, my poetry collection, The Ember Ever There, poems about grief, growth, recovery, and rediscovery. So I tell my stories there, and I hold space for your stories here. And today, I'm holding space for Mandy Manners and Kate Bailey. They are hosts of the Love Sober podcast, and they have a new book out called Love Yourself Sober, a self-care guide for alcohol-free living for busy mothers. Now, whether you're a mother or a caregiver of another sort, you're going to find a lot of good information in this book, and I think you're going to really enjoy my chat with Kate Bailey and Mandy Manners. Mandy and Kate of Love Sober, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having us. Hi. I'm so pleased you're here. Congratulations on your beautiful book. Uh, really exciting stuff. It is a wonderful resource, and I'm so pleased for you, and I'm pleased for a recovery community to have this excellent material. So before we talk about the book, I want our listeners to just get to know you and connect your voices with your stories. So Mandy, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, yeah. So um, I am British, but I live in France. I've lived in in France for nearly, um, well, just over 14 years. So I grew up kind of, I suppose, my drinking, if we're talking about my drinking story, I grew up in the British kind of 90s uh, Britpop binge drinking kind of culture very much like you know we drank with the with the men and kind of drank to excess at the weekends and very much sort of into music I started drinking when I was 14 uh, which was actually really normal in kind of uh, where I grew up in the UK at that time Um, and uh, I suppose yeah just kind of drank a lot at the weekends up until I moved to France um, and really was kind of motherhood that sort of changed my my relationship with alcohol um i i actually had a quite a traumatic experience when i was 18 and i'd never really dealt with that and i think when i had my daughter uh the P, the ptsd that had never been treated kind of this is all what i've kind of picked 
picked together now, but um, sort of came to the forefront. And I was living in a lot of fear. Um, I was hypervigilant. And so alcohol kind of became a, a coping strategy to kind of manage that, that I had this huge anxiety that I was going to do something wrong with her or that she was going to be unhappy or something bad was going to happen to her. And then I had my son 19 months later and I was living in another country. And French culture is very sort of centered around fine wine. You know, food and wine is is very romantic, very um, part of the culture in a in a different way to how I grew up in the UK. And I think I was trying to model French behavior, you know, having a glass of wine with dinner every night, but with my kind of British um, habitual drinking, um, coupled with my mental health problems kind of um, spiraled out of control, really. And um, and so I uh, got very depressed um, and I was working pretty much full time um, as a university professor. Um, so everything kind of looked um, OK. Um, I was succeeding, um, but I was deeply, deeply unhappy and deeply lonely. And um, and so in 2013, in December, well, actually, in in in, in the sort of August, September, I tried to stop drinking and smoking and everything. And I had a, a really big kind of panic attack. And at that point, my husband sort of took me to the doctor. Um, and I s- sort of, he had to explain everything because my French wasn't uh, that good and sort of um, explained what was going on in my head. And at that point, I was very low. Um, I didn't feel like I was good at anything. I wasn't a good mum, wasn't a good teacher, wasn't a good wife. Um, you know, I wasn't really sleeping, huge insomnia um, and drinking, you know, probably a bottle of wine a, a night. Um, and so that sort of started me on a, um, a journey of, of therapy. I got put, put on antidepressants, started going on to sort of CBT. And by December of that year, I was like, alcohols there's something going on here you know I'm trying to stop I'm trying to making promises to myself about it trying to cut down and I'm I'm not um able to and so um in December I sort of googled in the middle of the night as a lot of us did um you know am I an alcoholic do I have a problem with alcohol and I found Soberistas um which is a you know a wonderful forum and it was um something that I could access from where I was it was English speaking and I started blogging um and so yeah that kind of was off and on until about about six months I'd say and then I and then I quit drinking for a year um and everything got better and I felt fantastic and my mental health improved and I weaned you know with my doctor I weaned myself off medication um and then we moved and I thought well I'll drink just now and again because it's social and I don't have any friends and I can't be a non-drinker and I really hadn't worked out who I was without alcohol Um, I kind of been relying on willpower I think so I started drinking every now and again and you know so it progressed to more and more and and just my mental health really really deteriorated quite significantly and quite quickly um, until um, 
2017 when I just went, you know what, I'm I'm done this time. <laughs> and um, and so I've been sober ever since. And it was it was very different the second time around. It wasn't out of a place of desperation. It was very much um, more. I could keep this, I could keep trying to keep this in my life, but it's making me really unhappy and I don't want that anymore. And because I'd been in therapy, I'd been doing work on PTSD and I'd found that sort of sense of self-worth really enough to, for me to go, you know what, I don't, I don't want you and I don't need you. And so I'm happily sober and I, it was the best decision I, I ever made really. So that's a short version. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I love that it has such a piece in your mental health. Yeah. Because um, I think so many of us try to self-medicate with alcohol and it, it not only doesn't help, it makes it worse and it makes it impossible for us to deal with the underlying issues. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Because really I used, you, you know, I used to that. say to my husband, because I would, you know, the period from the first year that I did and then when I finally stopped, you know, I'd, I'd drink for about two to three months and it would progressively get a bit more and my sleep would, you know, get worse and my mental health would get worse. And I'd sort of say to my husband, you know, wasn't I happier when I didn't drink at all? And he'd say, yes. And I'd go, oh, la, 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 la. Okay. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> carry on um up until and it was that real kind of leveling up of you know of healing the the shame I had so much shame you know obviously having kind of a sexual trauma at a young age um I was you know very disconnected from myself and from my own self-worth and who I was as a person and I thought I was fundamentally bad and I'd caused things to happen to me you know so it is it's that healing of the whole person and but sobriety was a fundamental part of that. And every time I stopped, you know, concentrating on my sobriety and went back to drinking, I'd just lose that again. And I'd be back to forgetting about myself and not looking after myself. And yeah, so I'm very, very grateful. Kate, tell us about yourself. Hi. Oh, it's so, you know, I just... I, I, you know, when I listen to Mandy again, and we, we talk a lot and we've heard our stories a lot, but I just, sometimes it kind of gets me and I feel quite emotional, you know, about the journey and about the struggle. And, um, yeah, so, um, but about me, um, okay, so there are some elements that are similar to Mandy, I suppose. Um, I'm a little bit older, so my drinking really started in my teenage years. Um, when I was about 16, 15, 16, and it was very much, um, you know, it was the 80s, so it was snake bite, pints of snake bite and black. We were matching the lads sort of drinking, and it, we just, it just was never, it never occurred to me not to drink. It never occurred to me that it wouldn't be part of my teenage life and then my, my adult life, you know, like so many of us, it was part of the fabric of British culture and the rite of passage. Um, and then I suppose in my 20s, I kind of swapped it out. Um, and it was because I was kind of the sex in the city generation. So I was a journalist. I was at dumb uni. I, I was living in London. And really, now I look back again, you know, because you, you do piece things together in hindsight, don't you? Um, I was kind of doing what everyone else did, really. And we were binge drinking. We were going out after work. We were drinking cocktails. It was 
you know, going home, I was in a house share in London. So it looked like friends, you know, the friends generation that were sponsored. Our lives were sponsored by Blossom Hill or something. And, you know, it all just looked fine. Underneath that, I always say it was a bit like a duck, like everything looked fine on the surface with me. I worked so hard to make everything look all right and to prove to myself that I was kind of coping. Um, And underneath, I was paddling really, really, really hard. And I was most definitely self-medicating with alcohol since literally the first time I drank it like literally the first time um I'd suffered a lot of uh, of anxiety as a kid um and I I do remember the first time I drank was uh, my brother's um engagement party and it was a house party and I just remember um being in the loo looking at this kind of weird patterned wallpaper and I was just like oh I'm happy. Like I heard my voice say, I'm happy, which was an unusual occurrence. And then I went, oh, I'm drunk. And it was literally, I, I've said to Mandy, it was like a neural pathway the size of the M1 was formed in that moment, looking at this really horrible wallpaper on the loo. Who <laughs> 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 says it's not glamorous, right? So anyway, um, it kind of carried on. Um, and I, the only way I can kind of describe it really is that it was like there were two Kates as well there was like I was really into fitness I was really into yoga I was really into nutrition I was a really kind of I was quite a good girl you know like as a teen I was in the church choir and I was a straight A student so there was this part of me that just was sort of squeaky clean and then there was this this other part that was just it was like Jekyll and Hyde then you know binge drinking smoking I mean I remember at my at my wedding um in one somebody's speech they said that I could smoke enough to kill an elephant and it was like so it, there was just this kind of dichotomy going on which I sort of veered I sort of veered between the two um and knowing really that there was something not right, knowing that I was getting very busy, I was distracting myself and I was coping a lot, but I wasn't really, wasn't really happy a lot of the time. Um, so fast forward to motherhood and all I can say is the kind of chasm became wider, the disconnect became wider as suddenly I couldn't get to a hot yoga class. I couldn't kind of manage this kind of unwieldy sort of balancing act that I was doing before. And it became less and less balanced. And I think, you know, my husband was working late in in London. I had moved to the Burbs to get a house after my second child. So we weren't living in this uh, in a flat in Party Town, Brighton anymore. We were grown-ups living in the Burbs, but I literally had no one that I knew and connected with, despite going to mum and baby groups. It was I felt like I'd landed on a different planet really. So I was lonely and in in you know in in retrospect my mental health was suffering even more, you know. I think I had some depression and I and I still had my anxiety. Um and it was like I'd sort of the party was sort of over, but inside I was I didn't know who I was. I I think I think I had that real identity crisis that so many mums feel when they become mums. It's kind of I always say it's a bit of an unholy shock your first child because you're just like what on earth has just happened to me in my entire life? <laughs> and suddenly I was there, you know, party of one on the patio, me and a bottle of wine, you know, and. Um, I'm just going, this This sucks. This is just not fun, but I don't know what else to do because I can't get out. I have no childcare. 
I can't get to a hot yoga class. I can't give the baby to anyone. So who am I and what am I doing? And um, at that point, yeah, I just think it, it took a sinister turn. And I, I'm quite interested in how we measure what is an alcohol problem. Because on the surface, I worked so hard being quite a good girl to only drink just a bit over the recommended units. But all of my energy was going into it. I was working so hard at moderating for years and years and years, setting rules, failing, setting, right, I'll only drink on a, on a Saturday, but then I'd go to get to Friday and go, oh, I just, I really, uh, I can't help myself. And then I would beat myself up. So I was caught in this very nasty cycle of self-flagellation about my behavior, feeling quite ashamed of myself a lot, you know. Um, Again, like Mandy, I googled am I an alcoholic more times than I, I've had hot dinners. And then one night in 2000, I can't remember if it was 2012 or 13, I found Soberistas. Um, and again, blogged for the first time, met a community of, of like-minded women. You know, I was like, okay, I don't really identify with stereo- the stereotypes of an alcoholic. I you know I'm a nice middle class girl like I can't you know just I couldn't cope with that um I've never lost my driving license I've you know I've got loads going for me you know I don't don't really understand it and and then I woke up the next morning I sent up this flare at about three o'clock in the morning and when I woke up I woke up to about eight or nine messages on my blog saying we get you we're there we're the same as you it's all right, just do this, read this book, take one day at a time and um, check in with us, you know, later on. And I just, it was like I exhaled. It was like, okay, I've got, I've got a place to be really. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's, that's where I'm, and like Mand, I did, I did a year. I immediately, I tried to stop so many times, but I stopped for a year, 13 months. Um, and then went back, thought, oh, I've done loads of self-development. I'll be fine. And, of course, we know how that ends. And you're just like, oh, no, I thought I'd be the one person to get away with it. I was, I honestly did. I thought, I know it doesn't work for anyone else, but I would be that one person who could do it. And, of course, I didn't. And then went backwards and forwards, putting together the sort of the rest of it, you know, the, self, uh, the self-care stuff and the stress management and all the tools. And I'm... Now, four and a half years continuous sobriety. So well, that's where I'm at. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I love your confession <laughs> of thinking that you you could be the one person <laughs> who does this differently. I know. I was I, nodding to myself like, yeah, that was me as well. I thought I was that person. <laughs> And I'm picturing around the world, there are thousands of listeners right now nodding with their headphones on. Yep, me too. We all <laughs> yeah. we all confess to thinking that. You know, I hear some, some similarities between your stories and not only that you both quit for a while and then went back to it and then quit again for good. But there's that sort of um, what Brene Brown calls bento box thinking or compartmentalizing ourselves. Kate, you talk about the duplicity of, you know, being a young woman who has different parts to herself or um, even as a mom feeling like, you know, I can keep these boxes separate. And Mandy, for you, the denial of your trauma and trying to trying to pack it away and and cope in spite of it rather than dealing with it. And for me, I certainly had imposter syndrome. Do you find that recovery 
brings you authenticity. Is that a big part of your healing? Mandy, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I feel quite emotional. It's true. I feel quite emotional. I think, Mm. I don't know if we said this right at the beginning, but I think it's because we're talking to Eugene and your podcast was the first sober podcast I listened to. So, um, yeah, (laughs) Um, definitely. I mean, I was so lost. I just didn't know who I was anymore. And I'd just been trying to you know, control everything. And I thought there was this real thing about normality. It was like, if I can, if I can control my mental health, if I can be normal, then I, then I don't have, you know, I don't have depression. So if I can have, you know, hold down a good job or have, you know, a a marriage, then I, then I, I don't have trauma. You know, it was just these kind of batting backs of things all the time. If like, you know, this obsession with normality and and so every time that I I kind of got a little bit better or I I was managing things in a way then it was like okay well I have to drink because that's what normal people do you know it was this constant like tug of war of of what of of trying to yeah essentially not own what had happened to me and just be like if I can if I can cope with all these things then I'll be a normal person and so if a normal person hasn't had the trauma that I've had so you know or doesn't have depression and there was a real resentment too you know and I think we have this definitely with you know women in the community that we have or women that we've worked with as as coaches you know and you go through those periods of resentment where it's like why me you know, this is so unfair. And, and part of that kind of clinging to what should be fair was drinking. You know, if I, if I can drink, then, then like my whole world hasn't fallen apart. And that thing of keeping alcohol in the center of everything, you know, on this pedestal of importance now looking back is like, my goodness, like there's so many other important things, you know, and me, me being my authentic self, that's what's important. That's the center of it all. That's a pivotal point. Um, and I can only do that when I'm not drinking alcohol. Um, and yeah, and I, I didn't like what I looked like. I hate looking in the mirror. I had no self-worth at all. And I didn't like myself. Um, and I thought so many things were my fault. And and now I do. I <laughs> I like myself, which is just a crazy concept for any woman to say, really, like, I actually think I'm all right, you know, Um, and living as an authentic parent is just such a special sort of experience, you know, having that kind of true honesty with my kids about my life, about what's happened to me. And, you know, living with no shame is just incredibly beautiful experience. yeah. So yeah, authenticity is it is it's that reconnection with you, isn't it? And Kate, you talk about that a lot, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I it's interesting, isn't it, when you're talking there, man? Because you know, my my trauma too. Like we we were talking to Dawn Nicole from She Recovers um, over the weekend, and we were we were talking. We'd asked her the same sort of question. We were like, "So why do you think women drink?" And she said it she felt like it was pretty much always trauma of some kind whether it was big t trauma or small t trauma um and i you know i had um adverse childhood experiences um and i think i had some neurodiversity which it it leads you know when you're a highly sensitive person or you have sensory processing um stuff 
uh, every you know normal daily life can be quite traumatic on a nervous system level this is this is really recent learning for me as because of my parenting experience at the moment but i think what happens and you talk about almost like having a fractured self which and a, and a disconnect and i think that's what happens when people have especially women i think i don't i can't speak for men but it's part of the female experience is that you carry a shame that isn't yours to carry you end up carrying the shame of what happened um yeah and it's like a bag that doesn't actually belong to you because somebody else did it right but for some reason because of that you you have this kind of i see it so often this disconnect from self this self-aversion and part of my 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 absolute seminal moment for me was uh after the last last time i drank um and i i was so broken the next day i I, I was it was at my sister-in-law's uh, 40th birthday and I felt so anxious it was like Shh, I'm here again I'm just here again I cannot believe I'm here again I felt like I'd been in the boxing ring with Mike Tyson and I couldn't get on the tube that's the underground in London because I was having such bad panic attacks and I finally managed to get home to my my um my family and we went to the beach it was a beautiful day um, my beautiful children and my loving husband and a beautiful beach and I lay there feeling like a ghost and feeling like a shell and feeling like nothing was real and I was totally separated from my life and um and then I went home and someone had recommended Tara Brack you know the reign of self-compassion and she's a, a Buddhist psychologist and takes you through this kind of self-compassion practice and I'd put it off and put it off and I and I plugged my ear. I just felt, you know, like that awful, awful creeping sensation you have, which almost like I can't remember now, but I plugged it in and I listened and I went through the process. And I've said this to Amanda, I felt like I literally got it. It was like this connection was was made with myself. And I realized that if I drink, I I disconnect that chasm opens up even more and I can't find myself for about a week to even comfort I cannot I can't find myself and that causes such a profound shame response that I literally felt broken and I went that's it I'm done I don't care about the labels I don't care about the ifs and buts I don't care about what group you're in I don't care about anything I you know my busy busy mind I went that's it I don't care about that anymore this is my experience. This is what happens to me. And I felt like I found my little precious self in the, by doing that reign of self-compassion. And I was like, I'm not leaving her again. I can't leave her again because it's too damn, damn painful. And that was the last time I drank. So you saying that authenticity, that like feeling of, of landing in your own skin, of that true north of being, living my life, it's like, hell yeah hell to the yeah and that's where I'm staying you know <laughs> yeah that is amazing so your podcast is love sober and I want to make sure we leave time to talk about the book but quickly let's just go over how the two of you got together and started a podcast Kate tell me about that <laughs> okay so I started I came out from the you know it's really funny we've ended up really deep diving haven't we already and I <laughs> feel like you know there's that that side to everyone's story I must say that 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 is all sort of really extraordinary and ordinary all at the same time because we're just we're like two moms yeah yeah Mandy's <laughs> in France I'm in England 
we I have a smelly dog she's got a beautiful cat we've both got kids <laughs> and we were both just doing the school runs and yeah. trying to work out our lives so like to bring it sort of back down but down to earth a little bit and so anyway I decided that I, I kind of knew I was doing a lot of reading around the science of happiness I really wanted to own it and talk about it and be real with being sober I didn't want to hide behind things and it's things like I like you know if you're jealous of people then you know that that's a little signal to you that you need to kind of get off your butt and do something about it right and I think someone had a book out and I was really jealous I was like well I want to write a book and it's like you have to kind of like be visible and walk it a little bit out in the real world before you can kind of do that right so anyway I I was working with a coach fantastic coach called Sarah uh, who I'd met on the sober community and I put out my blog love sober and a press to publish and I was sweating and I was like no I've got to do it um Mandy and I met each other on Soberistas but she also she will say she kind of she stalked me didn't you because <laughs> she liked the the pod the uh, the blog yeah well I mean what had happened for me was because I'd been back and forth so many times you know it was like and when I first joined Soberistas, it was really quite small. There was about, I don't know, probably about a thousand people or something. And now there's like 60,000 people. And so every time I went back, it was like I I couldn't really see the same people anymore. And I was in that weird space where I wasn't a newbie, but I was on day one again. So it was this really weird thing. And I remember Kate's little icon. So I was like, ooh. And then I started reading her blogs and I was like, I liked her writing. And then I saw her her website and it you know appealed to me as Kate wanted to do it was like be aesthetically appealing and attractive and make sobriety feel exciting and I was like yeah that's that's what I want um and so we got chatting and we kind of actually realized that we we lived we would have lived when we didn't know each other before sobriety but we would have lived in like the streets next to each other in Brighton at the same time so we were probably drinking in the same pub which is quite ironic we lived on the next road to each other how mad is that and we never met <laughs> yeah, and so I was, yeah, and so I, I just went on my kind of coming back to sobriety. I'd set up my Instagram, and I was getting really into podcasts. And I was like, "This is such a brilliant way to reach people and talk about this because, you know, it's it can be anonymous. People don't have to tell people what they're listening to. You know, just listening to other people's conversations and the stories. I found it really, really engaging." But I couldn't find one for people like me, you know, like British binge drinking, now mums. Um, yeah, that kind of cultural experience. Um, and so I asked Kate one day, I was, we'd never met. And I was like, do you want to do a podcast? And she was like, yeah, OK. <laughs> that was like, so then like, we were, how do we do it? We were like, how do we do it? You know, in our kitchens, kind of like, well, I don't know, researching. And then I got a friend of mine involved and he did the music for a little bit. And then Kate's husband got involved and he sort of carried on doing the the tech for a little bit. And then, you know, now we kind of, we use, we do, we, yeah. we do it ourselves. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, we'd we'd done the podcast. We'd started recording it before we'd ever met in real life. What was it like when you did finally meet in real life? Was it just 
like instant pajama party sister. There's no small talk in recovery. I mean, we've proved that here. We go straight to the good stuff. Yeah, no, it was really funny. I mean, I came down on the train from London and just, we went straight to Kate's house and we're just having a cup of tea. And then we just kind of burst out laughing. (laughs) This is funny, but normal, but you know, so. Yeah, because we've done a lot of talking by that point, haven't we? Yeah. You do such a lot of talking. And um, so, yeah, it did. It just and and it's kind of one of those things. I think we hadn't we didn't want to even there was no uh, nothing in our heads. Like supposing we don't get on in real life. It, like that was not going to be a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was yeah. all really organic, you know, and then it was yeah. just then Kate was like sort of about six months later was like, you know, well, I was working on a book proposal. You know, would you like to? sort of collaborate and and we were both doing coaching and you know Kate was doing sort of um, personal performance coaching and um, life coaching and I was doing recovery coaching and then we're like right if we put all our skills in a in a basket you know we can really come up with what what we think women need and what we needed actually and create the change that we were looking for and um speak to to mums and speak to people that were having our experience really and so it's been this really beautiful organic kind of creative yeah big spit journey journey (laughs) it's all a journey (laughs) uh we need a new word other than journey but it really is it's (laughs) it's overused for a reason because it it really does capture the experience it never turns out the way we think it will it's usually harder messier but somehow better than we think the whole thing Mm -hmm. the whole thing well let's talk about the book love yourself sober you dedicate it to caregivers Um, I'm assuming because motherhood so profoundly impacted your experience not just in recovery but also you know your experience with alcohol but let's start out by just talking about that why why do you think that women are in 2020 experiencing the incredible pressures with not just with life but with alcohol what's going on there and mm-hmm. uh, and why are women so profoundly impacted right now i know it's a big question so don't feel that you have to <laughs> give yeah, a complete there's, synopsis there's a couple what, of was, things. what was on your heart yeah, yeah i mean i think that it started off because of our experiences you know and again another mother sort of metaphor saying whatever is you know necessity is the the mother of invention and so mm. it, it came from our need to understand our experience to have a really 360 look at the impact of life, of marketing, of the social messaging around being mum, being a woman, you know, and also the the, the piece that alcohol plays in it as well. And to look at the kind of spectrum as well of to say, okay, well, there's this alcohol use disorder spectrum and I think for both of us, I mean, for Amandi, there was this the, the more profound, I suppose, mental health piece um, at some point. And for me, there was that sort of, I had gone to healthcare professionals for years asking for permission to stop and I was given permission to continue. They would say, count your units, look at this wheel, you know. And so there was this, it was quite a lot of moving parts and quite a lot of pieces to unpick. And I think that, 
that is where the sort of the need to write it all down sort of came from and then the need to kind of try and solve it you know because we we, we need to do that and I think for mums um I mean we we think that what happened really uh, there's there's a few things but what happened on social media for example was there was this kind of it, it, there was a backlash against this need to be perfect, looking like a supermodel. I would say having a Bowden, Kath Kidson, they're two kind of British band, uh, brands, I think, having a bun fight whilst looking really hot, you know. And <laughs> and it was just an on, and, and that, that kind of have a seat at the table as well, like get a university education, go and boss a career. Um, and there was suddenly, you know, have it all, and it was like, but actually, you know, it, we all started to get frazzled and burnt out because there wasn't the right support for parents and carers, really. Um, and this, and then suddenly on social media, there was a kind of honest parenting movement about, okay, we're not going to look like these perfect role models. There were people, you know, feeding their kids, breastfeeding, sitting on the toilet, surrounded by washing, saying this is hard, but it sort of got coupled with alcohol. Um, and it kind of, you know, and, and I'm going to, and we had hurrah for gin, we had loads of, you know, mummy juice kind of things. So this kind of perfect storm happened where women were expecting to do it all, be it all, you know, do the lion's share of the home, the child rearing, have a career, have a job. Um, and we're also getting targeted very heavily then by the marketeers who have taken this trend and are literally aggressively pink washing drinks and it it became so it's become so normalized the problem drinking for mums and so confusing that we really wanted to sort of talk about that um and then it's the kind of okay what what do we do about it what what are we actually needing and maybe man could sort of take over and talk a bit about that yeah i mean i think you know, both Kate and I had burnout at different points. You know, I, I can remember at one point saying to my dad, you know, but, you know, because I grew up as a feminist, as a lot of our generation did, you know, we were like emancipated, you know, it was it was a, a growth from where our mums were, from their, where their mums were. So we were like, right, okay, we're, we're suddenly at the table and we can have a career and we can, you know, be mums. And then, there, but there wasn't the support underneath. So, and I can remember saying to my dad, but I just can't, you know, I've got to, and he was like, but Mandy, someone's got to be there to pick up the children after school. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he was like, that can be you, you know? And I was like, oh, wow. Because I was so fixated that I had to be a career woman and I had to be the perfect mum at the same time but you know some someone had to look after the kids you know that 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 caring role was there and so you know we're in a position now I think as a generation of like that you know work-life balance is a conversation that everyone's having all the time and stress and you know burnout and you know mums are very much still in a position of doing a lot of unpaid labor you know and the recognition of of the the role of a mum is still hugely undervalued in society so you know what what was happening was like right 
well, how do we cope with this? And then you're being sold a solution, which is just like, well, you know, have a glass of wine, mummy wine time. And, you know, and because we were all so isolated as well, you know, I was in France and I used to sit on with my friends on social media and we'd have like a cheers with our glasses of wine across Instagram, you know, like, oh, we're still together. There was a sense of kind of bonding about it. Um, but we're asking the wrong questions and we're kind of accepting the wrong solution, really, because what we should be sort of saying is, hang on a second, um, uh, we need to actually have a break and we need to be we need boundaries and we need to be able to say, I, I need to rest and we need to be able to put ourselves in in the position of the family and have a respected space within the family and say, you know, um, no it's okay to rest. It's, I mean, we talk about rest all the time. It's okay mm. not to, you know, be doing, you know, the best Halloween costumes and at the same time, you know, organizing a charity event. And at the same time, you know, we don't have to be perfect and we can just delegate and we can say no and we can reclaim some of that and so when we talk about self-care I mean obviously there's the the, the part of self-care which is nurturing you which is really important for sobriety to say you know you're worth it I love you let's have a nice bath or moisturize you know and make friends with yourself again but part of self-care is that you know self-leadership and being able to say actually, this is what I need to make my life work and manageable. Um, and so I'm going to put myself in a position with a clear mind and not numb myself out with alcohol to really kind of ask better questions and, and get the support I really need. Um, and I think alcohol rids us of that chance to be able to, you know, really look after ourselves and look after our, our kids. And I think that's the thing, because certainly what I realised was, I was in a position of controlling alcohol so much, trying to make it work and keep it in my life, that everything was so stressful. And I was so trying to control things all the time. And I'd lost fun. I was just not a fun mum. And then when I stopped drinking, you know, it's the opposite of what you think. He's like, oh, mm. sobriety is really boring and I'm going to be all alone. And it's completely the opposite. Because I'm so stupid now with my kids. And I just don't care as much about kind of stress perfectionism it's just like okay well let's just you know eat my kids are eating you know pj and jelly sandwiches tonight you know um for dinner that's okay and a glass of milk i mean they love it but it's fine you know it, it won't <laughs> it's, it's and so i think what we really tried to do with the book is just to first of all give mums a big cuddle and say we get you we've been there we shared the same experience and then sort of gently sort of say let's get you to a place where you can you know look after yourself in a way that's going to be sustainable and and healthy and 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 make you feel good you know and look mm. for the good stuff in life um which alcohol kind of takes away i suppose Mm. You know, I'm on to a different stage of, of life. My, my kids are grown. I'm a grandmother now. I still can't believe it. I like saying wow. it, but <laughs> I'm not sure how it happened. But I actually felt quite emotional as I read your book, thinking about how much I needed that mm. book when I was a young mom and wondering how things might have turned out differently for me had I had your book then. I 
actually said yes out loud when I got to the part where you call out the idea of alcohol as being self-care. Yeah. We're really yeah. fed that idea and moms are always looking for quick fixes and convenience. And so once we start turning to alcohol as self-care and using it, we start to become reliant on it. And then the trajectory trajectory of addiction makes us slowly forget all the other pleasures that are available to you. As yeah. you said, like a bath, like a, like a lovely, you know, massaging our feet with lotion or having a little bit of dark chocolate. And then... Mm-hmm. The cycle of HALT, which is an acronym we often hear used to remind us of main triggers, which are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Well, that is also motherhood. I mean, I spent 15 years being hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So you're in a constant state of triggering, and then you are slowly trained to have only one go-to for self-care and then that's uh, and it never works Mm. but you keep going back to it and so I was so so pleased at the way that you called out that nonsense Mm. and offered solutions for it so bravo to you for that and um thank you yeah and I think that that whole thing about I think what happened you know after that first year of sobriety for me, and, and I think for Mand as well, for me, it was definitely that journey of self-care. That was, that was it. That was the toolkit that I needed for life to, to make me happy. And that we drew on, you know, um, the science of happiness. You know, it's like those old wisdoms with the shiny new neuroscience. But, you know, things like awe, things like wonder, things like hobbies and things that light us up, things that soothe our nervous system, things that, you know, the the science of gratitude, you know, that the connection, the connectivity between people at having your sober community, like all of these things that are the real self-care. They're Like you said, this this idea of alcohol that we've been sold as this self-care, this false faux self-care, but what is the real stuff is all of that. And, and that's really sort of, there's been a bit of a revolution in that, I think, a bit of an explosion of all, all of that stuff, which now it's almost like because of neuroscience, everyone's, there's the proof of it, you know. So it's got a kind of, um, it, it's, it's gained traction uh, recently, you know, that whole the wellness kind of aspect of of sobriety and sober living I think which was so Mm. needed for mums like you say you you're constantly in these state of triggers you're under an enormous amount of pressure so you need radical (laughs) self-care of the most badass kind don't you yeah and I think Mm -hmm. it is it's that kind of you know it's calling out yeah the reality of 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 the female experience really because you know if if we're talking about you know trauma being one of the the main elements of you know addiction addictive behavior or, or dependence then the amount of women that have had me too experiences you know you're talking to a, a or the amount of women that have undiagnosed uh, sort of um you know postnatal depression that that's that's a vulnerable um group you know that are being heavily heavily marketed for alcohol and so when you start to sort of see it through that lens of kind of 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 what women really are experiencing in life it's like hang on a second that this isn't this isn't right and 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 what we love i mean 
you know, she recovers is amazing community, you know, women supporting women, you know, we have a women only community and there's huge, huge conversations to have about men's mental health. Absolutely. But the fact that we can look after each other and that we can support each other is, is such a kind of, it's a gift. And, you know, when, when women enter communities and they just have that, as Kate said, that relief of just like, ah, okay, I'm not alone. And, you know, and that's such a wonderful thing. And that's really not the messages we're being sold. You know, it's like, you can't connect without me is one of the the biggest kind of selling points about alcohol marketing. It's like, you will be alone if you don't drink. And that's just not the case. And, and so again, it's that sort of looking at how do we socialize? There's so many ways you can socialize. You don't just have to socialize in a bar. You know, you can get that from doing yoga with people. You can get that for going for a walk and you're actually going to have fantastic conversations that you remember, (laughs) you know? So, um, I think it's just trying to, the book really is just to try and sort of ask those questions about things that the narratives that we're told and, and sort of turning them on their head and going, really, is this actually good enough for us? And no, you know, it's not, you know, we deserve more. Do you have a population of men that listen to your podcast and have read your book? What kind of feedback are you getting from the other side of this relationship? We, we do some have gay a, men who like us. <laughs> yeah, we do have a few. We, have we do a have a few dads. dads. We? we do. We do. And we have male friends within the sober community. We, we've got some very, very good good male friends but it you know even though like we've got um, a lovely friend called Simon Chapel who has and he's a lovely dad and he's got a community in a book and stuff and um, but most of the people in his community are women so the sort of it, it still does seem to be largely on on the you know on the forums it still seems to be a lot of female activity rather than than the men in the UK with we see that definitely yeah, I mean, I think perhaps, well, I can hypothesize that, you know, AA was very strongly male and a very strongly male narrative. So I think, you know, communities that have come more recently have kind of been tried to answer a need that AA wasn't perhaps giving for some people. So, and but I do think there's now becoming another nuance things that we're starting to see that, you know, there's an important to talk about race there's importance to you know talk about diversity within groups and and certainly to talk about men's mental health and and supporting them kind of earlier on because it seems like that there's still quite a rock bottom narrative with men which women seem like thankfully we seem to be moving away from that a little bit and being able to sort of ask questions a bit earlier on in the sort of relationship with alcohol and and men seem to still because of that you know, disconnect with being able to talk about their feelings or having to man up, you know, and that toxic masculinity are unfortunately still being left, you know, on the side a little bit. But it is changing. And I've seen, uh, you know, a few men coming through. Mm. Sort of and we've got a lovely, another really good friend called Michael Maisie. And he has the most amazing story. And he does great work with young men, um, you know, from from difficult backgrounds. He was in prison himself. And he has, you know, turned it around. So, like, he's a proper legend. So there are some 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 men doing some great work, you know, and with some of the younger younger guys as well. So fingers crossed that that will, 
you know, that will grow, like Mandy said. I love that we're at least having the conversation. And and one thing I have learned, Esther Perel, I don't know if you're familiar with her work. Um, she primarily deals with relationships and couples therapy. She's really fascinating, but she reminds us that we don't have to turn to our partners to fill all of our needs, that we can look to elsewhere in our relationships to fill some of those needs. And particularly for me, that reminded me that it's not my husband's job to listen to my every thought. (laughs) (laughs) I'm much more of a talker than he is. So he will tell you he's pretty happy that I figured this out. (laughs) And so that I think is why it feels so good. And for women, a lot of us sort things out by talking about them. Yeah. And when we get together, we just fall naturally into that process. Whereas I think men have a less of an inclination to work through their feelings that way. They're much more Mm -hmm. action driven by nature and speaking in general terms. Mm -hmm. I think that's why programs that have steps and actions to take really appeal to men. Whereas for women gathering together and talking about our commonalities and looking into each other's eyes and being in each other's presence uh, fills, uh, fills us up in a different way. And I'm reminded that for women, it's even how we're built. I mean, our um, menstrual cycles will align with the women that we are in contact with. I mean, our bodies are built this way to connect and align with the women around us. And so I I feel like it's a reflection of how we're built in the way that we like to communicate and talk about things. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, And it's so important to remember that part of the, the, you know, the female experience and that sort of, yeah, the, the circles and the connection and the, um, yeah, the sort there's the embodied. You know, we go on about the patriarchy, don't we, man? Do we like to have a bit of a go at the patriarchy? But there's that. Um, <laughs> you know, who doesn't, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's needed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not going anywhere yet. That, that, like, okay, let like, we need, we do need those spaces. We have needed those spaces, and we, and they, and we do need women only spaces, just like men might, you know, they, you know, and like the, the nuances and the diversity and the intersections need safe spaces. And so. I do think, you know, there's, there's, there's part of something that I've been noticing recently where because of, you know, motherhood is, as it, you know, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a hard journey because essentially you love some, someone more than you love anything else. And then you have to prepare for them to, for for them to become independent and then not need you anymore <laughs> it's, it's quite you know it's quite <laughs> challenging um as a concept you know um and and so I think there is something that I've been seeing in our community recently where you you know I sort of why do people stick around you know why do they 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 stay and they want to help other people and and it does kind of fill that kind of nurturing need for people it's like i'm still here i can i can support others and it kind of it, i think it does help with the female experience to have those close relationships with other women because mm. it allows you to kind of yeah f- i suppose fill the gap a little bit and you know we were filling that gap or that 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 pain with booze and now it's like well we get to fill that with sort of nurturing relationships with with other women and I think 
it's been something interesting to watch and 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 it's and it's a great part of that it's like okay this is actually something that and probably our kids are all sighing you know in relief like thank goodness they've got something else to think about <laughs> not just us you know so yeah, yeah it's 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 a great thing in in that sense and I do think mm-hmm. men need it as well you know they need we need mixed spaces and we need um separate spaces we need both yeah we need it all yeah I also love that my recovery allows me to be completely reliably on standby for my children who are grown now. So if they do need me, they know they can call me anytime and they don't have to worry of whether or not, you know, oh, it's past nine o'clock, mom, let's not call her now. (laughs) She's not at her best in the evening. Mm -hmm. No, they know that uh, I'm, you know, I'm always present and available and I feel really great about that. And I feel a little less needy about it, I guess, because just knowing that, you know, I'm I'm here if you need me and you can count on me is a really Mm. lovely, lovely way to be as I get older and know that I'm not a burden in their lives. Mm. And the way I was headed uh, on my drinking trajectory, I I would have really been a problem for them right now. So it's very freeing in that way, too. I love it. Okay. Tell our listeners, how can they find you? How can they find your podcast and get your book? So we are, but basically the easiest, easiest way to find us is at lovesober.com. Everything lives there and everything signposts to to sort of everything else. (laughs) So there's a a drop down to the podcast. There's links for the book. You can join our community space from there. So really head over there for everything. Um, Mandy, you... Uh, you're the Instagram which I'm no good at (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah so I mean the podcast is on all like you know um channels that you can get it the the only thing I'd say with the book at the moment it's not available on amazon.com until March next year so if you're in the US then the best place to get it is from the book depository because you get free shipping um or you can download it on a Kindle or get the audio book, mm. which will be released soon. Um, Instagram, we are at lovesober.cic. Um, CIC stands for Community Interest Company. So we part of our kind of bigger picture next year is uh, looking for government funding or from investment so that we can um, – you know, do courses for people on lower incomes because, you know, a lot of the demographic we work with are mums, you know, single mums or mums that are stay-at-home mums and they don't have a lot of money. So that's a real kind of problem area that needs um, supporting. And uh, other than that, I am at Mandy Manners Coach and Kate is at Kate Bailey Coach on Instagram and we're on Facebook as well. And the last thing I'd say about the book is that we actually dedicated it to carers because we really felt that, you know, we don't want to, we don't all look like nuclear families, right? We might have two dads, we might be caring for uh, an older parent, an ailing parent, and still be experiencing being under the cosh and being incredibly depleted. So it's really trying to care for carers, whatever your family might look like, whatever that situation might look like. I love it. 
Andy Banners and Kate Bailey, thank you so much for joining me on the Bubble Hour. Oh, thanks for having oh, us. It's been amazing to talk to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. just, I feel really overwhelmed. I really do. Thanks so much. <laughs> Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. And listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this hour. Please be sure to touch base with Mandy and Kate. I will have all of the links to the resources and connections mentioned in the show notes. So check there for those links. That's all for this week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take good care. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. In a dark corner is where shame likes to hide. We think you're strong just cause you keep it on the side. It just stays and wait there. Rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on You can shine When you see the point I did that Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.